Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, really. Uh, how special as it is, we all think back to our fathers and we elevate our fathers, especially those of us who are lucky enough to have godly fathers, uh, as I did. And I think about the fact that really uh, my father molded me, but I, what he did was not really with his words, even though he preached several times a week and I sat through every single one of those sermons my entire life. But when I think of my father, what I think of him is I think of his total dedication to the Lord. And here he was, he served from the pulpit for 55 straight years, and he never once got a salary. He never got a salary. He bowed to God that that was the will of God. And that's the kind of godly example we look for in our lives. Your fathers who have sacrificed for you, who, who really did everything that they could to not only take care of you and give you what you needed, but give you spiritual sustenance and give you an example of what it means to be a godly man. That's, that's the prayer today. I pray that we all be godly men and that for those people that don't have a godly man in their homes, I pray that you become the example and mentor for those people. Really, that's something that we can do. And so uh, we say thank you, fathers. Thank you for all you do. And how appropriate is it today that on this Father's Day, we're going to talk about the father relationship of God. I couldn't think of a more appropriate way and how the Holy Spirit engineered that we would have this message on this special day. And so Jesus has spoken to us about the nature of prayer. He's prepared us by way of introductory remarks about what it takes to come into the throne room of God understanding the holiness and exclusivity of God, and that the only reason we can come into the throne room of God is because Jesus died for us on the cross. It is the veritable blood of Christ that allows us to come to God, not merely when we die and pass from this world to the next, but as we've been telling you, in your prayer life, you see, God only hears the prayers that come in the name of Jesus. Now, this becomes critically important because you see you all come in the name of Jesus. You have given Jesus your heart and your soul and everything. And so now you have an obligation. You see, you must pray for the unsaved because God isn't going to hear their prayers unless finally they ask God to save them. That's a prayer that they will hear. But you need to pray that God will touch them and convict them. Uh, and draw them to him. That's a prayer that we have. And so I'm convicted this week about the need for us to pray for our unsaved friends. I really am. And your unsaved family. That's a prayer that needs to be made on a regular basis. And so I think uh, Jesus has indicated that to us. He's prepared us for understanding the holiness of God. The fact that when we come to God, we have to come to him as if we were closeted in prayer. We shut off the world. And we see nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus is there at the right hand of God, interceding for you. Can you imagine? Jesus is your brother. He's your spiritual brother. And there he is, praying for you and interceding for you. What a great God we have. What a great God we have. And so we acknowledge him in greatness. And so today we're going to cover and study uh, the great prayer that Jesus gave us. He gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and you know, what's great about the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily the, the ability to recite the prayers. 
in a recitation, but rather to study the nature of how the prayer is composed. Because Jesus did it, he gave it to us, not so that we repeat it, but that it would become a very much a model for us in our lives, how we would pray. This is how Jesus would ask us to pray. Uh, And so it becomes important. So he gives us, in fact, the outline of a kind of prayer that God would have us make. And you know what happened here is that the disciples saw Jesus praying, and they saw that he would pray for hours at a time. And so they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to pray the way you pray. Teach us, Lord. And so effectively Jesus taught his disciples. And so as he taught his disciples, it's as if we were there 2,000 years ago, and he's teaching us today. It's the same way. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray, the Lord said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so as we study this prayer, as we see it, it's, it's important to realize that it was given to the disciples as an outline, as a paradigm, as a, as a way to say, this is the outline of how you need to speak to God. Uh, it's not a prayer that absolutely needs to be recited, although there's nothing wrong with reciting the prayer. But Jesus has, has already warned us about vain repetitions. And that's unfortunately what happens to a lot of people with this prayer. Rather, think about the composite of the prayer, how Jesus gave it to us and what it really means. Uh, and so Jesus was, was reciting a prayer, not that they needed to learn the prayer, but rather that they needed to learn how to pray. They saw that Jesus was communing with God. And just as Jesus was communing with God, they wanted to commune with God in the same way. And so Jesus gave them a veritable pattern for prayer, as he gave it to us today. Uh, and so that's the nature of this message, understanding the, par- the pattern, the veritable pattern that God has given us in order to understand this. Now, it's interesting to note that in this prayer, effectively, it's broken down into two sections, you see. There are six specific petitions. There are three that begin the prayer, and there are three that close it. Well, the three beginning petitions are all about the worship and glory of God, the acknowledgement of who God is, the relationship of God to us uh, in every possible way. The last three petitions are the petitions that relate to our specific needs. But you see, before you get to your own needs, you first worship God in your prayer life. You approach it and say, Father, I recognize how great you are. I bow in submission to your throne. And all of that prayer is all about that. Uh, And so it's important for you to recognize that. Uh, So many of us, as soon as our knees hit the ground, we have a list as if we're dealing with a hotel concierge, right? I need this, I need that, please do this, please do that. And I understand it's not that that's a bad thing, but what happens is it's not the kind of relationship that God wants with you. You see, God knows what you need. Hard to believe, right? He knows what you need. Now, the problem with a lot of us is we go beyond what we need. It's what we want. 
And what we want often is not what we need. And that's what we have to ask God to separate us in our mind. Uh, and so it becomes important to understand this. And so the first words of the Lord's Prayer are, are an address to God as our Heavenly Father, the acknowledgement of Him as the Creator, the acknowledgement that He has created us. Uh, and so here it is, our Father, Jesus says, our Father who art in heaven, our Father. Uh, and so these prayers tell us who can make this prayer, who can tell us, and what the privileges are. You see, folks... Because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the privilege of calling God your Father. He is not the Father of everyone. He is not the Father of those in this world who have rejected him, who, who are in open, notorious rebellion. He is, in fact, the Father of those who have embraced Jesus Christ. Uh, and we know in that famous verse, John 14, verses 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And so that's got to be the template of our lives as we understand this. And so this is why we have the privilege of access. It's because of Jesus. Because effectively, Jesus is our brother. We are part of the family of God. Now, here's the interesting thing that I've studied on this. No Old Testament Jew ever spoke to God in this way. No Old Testament Jew anywhere in Scripture ever referred to God as our Father because effectively what that meant was, as we learned later, uh, the word Abba. Abba, meaning Dad. Dad. Nobody, nobody spoke to God or prayed to God like that. It's only Jesus did it. So if you look through the scriptures, the veritable thousands of years of the Old Testament, you will find not one word in which any of the prayers made were referring to God in that intimate relationship. It is only through Jesus Christ that that intimate relationship begins. Uh, and so noted theologians who've studied this indicate three things, that that title, Abba, Dad, that it was new with Jesus, no one else ever did it, that Jesus always used that form of address in every prayer that he made, and Jesus authorized his disciples to preach the same way, to pray in the same way. Can you imagine? And so Jesus is telling you, God is your dad. God is your dad. And so I want to say to you that those of you who may not have had uh, the most holy of fathers, may not have had the, the best examples in your life of what a father should be. You see, God takes that place. God takes that place. God is your father. God is your dad. And you come to understand this. And this becomes important in your prayer life because now when you're praying to your dad, can you imagine uh, having your father that you needed something and you went to your father and you say, Dad, I, I really need that. Could you imagine your father ever not giving it to you? Can you imagine? Of course not. He knows you. He loves you. You know he loves you. He knows, he know, you know he cares about you in every way. And that's what you need to understand about the relationship of Abba to you. He is your dad. That's who he is. And that's important for you and all of us to understand as we drill down on this prayer. Uh, and so it's important to see that Jesus was the first to ever do this. And Jesus told his disciples, this is how we are to address our Father. Uh, and, and Jesus made this very clear even in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, 
If you would turn to John chapter 20, I found this and I thought it was very interesting as well. John chapter 20, verse 17. And this is shortly after he was resurrected and he comes across Mary Magdalene. And Jesus said in verse 17 of John 20, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. How about that? I'm returning to my Father and your father, indicating that that was effectively the nature of the relationship. It wasn't just the father of God, it's the father of us as well. Uh, and uh, these words about uh, Abba are very clearly in Scripture as well. Turn to Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 36. And, and you'll see this again. Uh, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. There he is, Jesus, at one of the most uh, difficult times of his life, uh, and praying to God, and as he does it, he says, Abba, Abba, Father, in every way. Look also at Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 15. And there we read Romans chapter 8, excuse me, verse 15. Because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to hear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. In other words, you are the sons of the living God through Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And so because you are that, you can address the creator of the universe as Abba, Dad, in every way. Uh, and so it becomes important. So within this perspective of understanding the nature of who God is as we acknowledge him as our Father, it is significant that the first petition in the prayer uh, concerns the nature of God, and it is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Well, the way to really understand that is to say, Lord, may your name be holy. I sanctify your name. I glorify your name. I lift up your name. I worship your name, Father, in every possible way. In the highest language that I have, I lift you up, Father, in every way. And what it does is it removes man, you see, from the center of the package, the center of the world, and puts God there in the center, which is what God wants. This is what God demands from us. That center can be uh, occupied only by God himself. And so if we want to know God and we want to be blessed by God, uh, then we must start, really, by worshiping God. Now, the second petition is no less poignant, uh, uh, equally powerful. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, to make this prayer means that we are asking God to bring his kingdom to this world, to take away the evil from this world and to come back to this world. Your kingdom come. Now, that kingdom 
is displayed in several ways. Well, when Jesus came the first time, the kingdom of God was on display in this world. And when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his kingdom now resides in your heart. In each and every one of us, the kingdom of God resides in your heart. But mostly importantly, that when we say your kingdom come, really means to acknowledge the day when Jesus Christ will come back to this world. And he will come back. And when he comes back, he will establish the kingdom of God all over the world. And evil will be removed. And Jesus will triumph. And God will triumph in such a powerful way. Uh, and so it means that we are hungering and thirsting for that day. They were hungry for the justice of God and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this. Is this something you've ever prayed for? Really? Or do we pray like this? Lord, I want you to come back, but not right today. I'm doing pretty good right now. I've got a nice house. I can see the water. My family related. It'd be good if you came back, but not, not today. But you understand the real nature of the prayer is, Lord, come back today. Come back now, no matter what you have, it will pale next to the glory of God. And that's a prayer you have to make. Lord, come back. I can tell you that when I used to watch the television news, I would look at it and I would turn to my wife. I go, I wish you would come back right now. I wish the rapture would come right now. Uh, and I know many of you have felt that way. Right now. Uh, because you're disgusted with the filth of this world and the way this world have, has descended in such a powerful way. And yet that's the prayer that God wants us to make, hungering and thirsting for the kingdom of God to come back. That's the nature of the prayer that we need to make. Now, the third petition broadens and specifies, really, the boundaries of the second. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will, Father, be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning what? Father, not only do we want your kingdom established here, we want your will in every way to be expressed in this world right now in the same way that it's being expressed in heaven. Your kingdom right now, Father, your will on earth as it is in heaven. What a, a powerful prayer that is. That brings us to the responsibility that we have in that prayer. Because if my heart hungers that God's will be done, then this prayer is also my pledge that through the grace of God, I will help to establish his will in this world. I will walk with the cross of Christ. I will be the kind of example to a lost world of what it means to be sold out to Jesus Christ. When they see me, when they come in contact with me, they will understand what the kingdom of God will be like and what his will will be like in this earth. That's our promise. And that's our responsibility. Uh, and so this is what we need to pray. And as we pray, ask God to give us the will to live that kind of a life so that we can be that kind of an example. Now, you understand that what we've done so far is we've covered 50% of this prayer, and we haven't yet got to our list. You know our list. Give me this. Help me here. Take care of this. Do this. You know, this lengthy list that we have. I know some people have such a long list, they have to actually have to write it down. 
all right? I know people like that, and I'm not mocking it, but the, the bottom line is to first of all recognize that God knows what your needs are. He knows what your needs are. And I, you know, last week we, sp- we, we read that beautiful verse in Romans that said that sometimes through the Holy Spirit we can't even articulate the prayer, right? We're so down and beaten down and depressed that we can't even articulate the words and we just go, <sighs> and God understands the size. He hears the size of the heart. And through the Spirit, His Spirit to your Spirit, it's interpreted. And God answers those prayers. And so don't be afraid if in your, your needs you can't articulate the prayers. You're seeing here 50% of this prayer is devoted to acknowledging the relationship of God, acknowledging his will, and acknowledging the fact that you want his will being done here in this world. And so in these first three petitions of, the, of this prayer, uh, we will see what? God's glory, God's reign, and God's will. How's that? Can you think of anything more powerful? God's glory, God's reign, and God's will. Uh, And so now, the second set of petitions, the second three, really concerns with what God wants to do for us. How he wants us to address Abba, our dad, with what we need. And the first petition of that says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, the word daily really was hardly ever used before in Scripture. Uh, In the Greek, in the original Greek, which it was written in, the word daily seems to mean uh, an acknowledgement of the day to come. In other words, the first century Jew was not paid a salary. He wasn't paid in advance. He was only paid after he worked for a day. He worked for a day. He was paid for that day, one day. So there was no savings account, right? There was no 401k. You worked a day. You got paid for a day. And so the prayer then becomes more poignant as it resonates with us. Give us this day our daily bread, meaning, Lord, you know what I need. It's coming tomorrow, Father. Give me what I need, my daily bread. Now, here's the thing. This, this prayer does not mean just physical sustenance. It's not a prayer uh, that relates specifically to food. It relates to every possible earthly need that you have, whether it's physical or functional or emotional, or even spiritual, whatever the needs are that you have, go, Lord, Lord Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me what I need. You see, this keeps us away from grandiose prayer statements. Lord, I really would like that house by the beach. Lord, I need a bigger boat. Lord, I want to go on vacation more. You know, forget those kinds of prayers. They don't even go through the ceiling. You understand? And so many of us acknowledge those kinds of worthless prayers, but instead, Lord, Father, give me this day my daily bread. What do I need, Father, for tomorrow? You know me. And if you make that kind of prayer and approach the throne of God, he will answer that. And what a poignant answer that is. Can you imagine God giving you everything that you need? Whatever you need. 
If it's emotional support, he'll give it. If it's physical needs, he'll give it. If it's financial needs, he'll give it. You don't have to stand on your head. Really, when I, I, I laugh when I see these prosperity preachers uh, talking about what it takes to have prosperity as if you can bargain with God. You don't bargain with God. You don't bargain with God. I repudiate that theology. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. Instead, we bow before the throne of God in humble worship, and we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You know what I need, God. Don't give me what I don't need. And that's the other thing. Father, don't give me what I don't need. Don't give me what will distract me. I love the prayer of my father, uh, who would make this prayer, Lord, make me neither rich nor poor. And I would say, no, well, Dad, why do, you, why do you make a prayer like that? What's wrong with being rich? I was hoping that that curse wouldn't apply to me. Make me neither rich nor poor. He says, son, it's because of this, you see. If you get rich, if you get too rich, all of a sudden, the, the temptation of riches can change your life. You're no longer putting God first. You're thinking about all these acquisitions that you now have, and it's a distraction in your life. And he said, and the reason why I pray not to be poor is also being poor. Being in poverty can be distracting where you're so caught up with, with trying to survive that that becomes a distraction as itself. And so we pray to God, Lord, make me neither rich nor poor. You see, that's the kind of prayer that only a godly man can make, a man that walks with God, that understands the nature of the relationship of Abba uh, to, to himself. And that's the kind of prayer we want to be able to have. And so God doesn't want you to have a precarious existence, God doesn't say that wait for you to hang out so that you're just one step from the curb. He wants to give you everything that you can need to have a life that is comfortable, that will keep you focused squarely on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal, folks. For some of you, if you lived in a big house by the, by the ocean, I'm sorry to say we'd never see you in church. That's between you and God. But I'm sorry to say that. Really, I'm sorry to say that. Uh, and, and it's funny, we used to say this as we would go to church, my wife and I and my son, we'd drive by a church uh, when we were a lot younger, and it would be Sunday morning, and I'd go by a golf course, and I'd see the golf course loaded with golfers, loaded with golfers on a Sunday morning, and I would turn to Linda, and I'd say, wow, isn't that amazing that all these people have already gone to church? <laughs> really? But you understand, you see, that's what happens. Because as some of us get blessed, and more blessed, and more blessed, what happens? God goes further on down the food chain. You understand? We get distracted. Oh, Lord, I pray that, that as you get blessed in your life, and God will bless you, that none of these blessings, none of these blessings, will let you take God for granted. Because here's the thing as we make these prayers. I believe that we are now part of a thankless generation. A thankless generation, as God has poured his blessings and common grace into this world, as has lifted so many people up in this world, uh, that they have a sense of affluence that they never had before, that if they're somehow denied something, all of a sudden they get angry with God, as if God owed them something else. 
because they're thankless, you see. They're thankless in acknowledging what God has really given to, the, to us. God has proven himself over and over and over again to us in so many ways. All of you have that testimony. How many of you have gotten to an older age? You've seen your children been raised up. They're comfortably set. You're comfortably set, and you're living in a place that you never thought you'd be able to live in. And God gave you all of that. He gave you all that. Yes, I understand we have pains. Yes, I understand we have some physical complaints. You see, that's part of the deal. When you make it to 80 or 90, guess what? There are a few bumps in the road, right? There's a few bumps in the road. But notwithstanding the bumps, God still sustains you. And I can't tell you how proud and pleased and honored I am that I see people here in church that I know made a commitment to come out even though they're hurting. God bless every one of you. God bless you. God knows you. He sees your heart. He knows what it is. You see, that's your commitment to him. You're raising your commitment to him. And so as we reach this and we and, and, and understand this prayer, then we come to this very poignant passage in, in the uh, petition. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is one of the more misunderstood verses in the Bible. You see, people read that and they'll say, oh, wait a minute. I thought I was saved. I thought Jesus has forgiven all my debts. It seems here Jesus is now telling me that if I don't forgive somebody, he's not going to forgive me. Well, you see, this is a lesson of contextual construction. When we read the Bible, we don't take one single verse out of context. We weave, we weave it together. And so what does it mean? It means here that Jesus is effectively saying that if you do not forgive others, it means that you have not been saved. It means that you have not been forgiven. Because if you do not have a forgiving spirit, you have not received the blood of Jesus Christ. You have not received the Holy Spirit as a deposit within your heart. If you do not forgive others, you cannot be saved. And if you are not saved, then guess what? God isn't going to forgive you. It's that simple. Now, when you understand it, it makes perfect sense. And so you see the responsibility that we have in this world to acknowledge the fact, to acknowledge the fact that we need to forgive in every way. Sin here is pictured as a debt. Sin is a debt. And it's a debt that must be discharged. That's the way it is. That's how God looks at it. Your sin was a debt. The only way you're getting to heaven is that Jesus paid that debt. You can't get into heaven unless that debt is forgiven. And so is Jesus giving us here some tit-for-tat arrangement? Uh, and so, no, he's not. Absolutely not. He's understanding and making it quite clear that the, this, what takes place, first of all, is the fact that you're saved and that he died for you. And as he died for you, you have the, the, the Holy Spirit in your walk, in your life, and so as a means of having that, you must forgive. You must forgive. We cannot be Christians unless we have that ongoing forgiving spirit. Remind yourself of this. This is not about having bitterness or, or revenge. Those are out. And if you find yourself having those things, you need to ask God to fill you and take it away from you. 
because Jesus makes it very clear here. And you know, I saw in the, in the course of writing this sermon and praying about this sermon, I came across an incredible prayer that was given in the 1100 to 1200 period by St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and it's really poignant, and if you want to get a copy of that, that prayer, you can just ask Linda for the, the sermon notes. And listen to what this prayer says, because to me, this is the essence of what Jesus is talking about. This is what the kind of prayer that we need to make, every one of us as a Christian. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Isn't that a magnificent prayer? Isn't really that the kind of prayer that each and every one of us needs to make? as we want to be the messenger of Christ, as we want to spread the message of Christ to this world. And so I would say to you, think about that and acknowledge that in your prayer life. Uh, and, and so the final petition of the prayer, the final petition of the prayer is that lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, some people would say, well, wait a minute. Would Jesus actually lead us into the evil one? Are we praying, Jesus, don't lead us to Satan because if we don't make that prayer, you're going to lead me right into Satan? Now, that's, that's ridiculous. You see, that's, that's an improper translation of what it means. It means, Lord, really lead me away from temptation. Lead me away from evil. Put up walls in my life so that you know who I am. You know where I might go. You, you know my tendencies, Father. Keep me away from the kind of things that you know I'm weak about and lead me away from them so that I will not come face to face to Satan. Uh, and so this becomes important to understand that. And so just as we depend on God for our physical needs, we have to depend on God for our spiritual needs in every possible way. Uh, and so this, this is why we get spiritual victory, because we pray to him. Look, you know what your weaknesses are. You know what your warts are. You have to ask God, Lord, protect me from myself. Protect me from myself. Lord, help me, lead me, lead me away from the kind of things that ultimately, Lord, I will fall for. Uh, and so we want to depend on him uh, for not just physical sustenance, but spiritual sustenance. You see why the whole relationship of God as your dad is so critical. You see why he loves you and how he loves you and how he comes to stand beside you and how we acknowledge him and ask him to help us. Just think of the relationship that you had with your own uh, godly father, and now multiply it by a million times. Uh, and so this is, becomes a, a key issue in our life. And so the question for you that I would ask each and every one of you today is that when, when was the last time that you made such a prayer like this? Is this emblematic of your prayer life? Are you praying to God in this manner? And I would say that the answer I had to give to myself was, no, John, you're not. You're not. You're falling short of the mark. 
and, and so you see that this is the kind of prayer that God wants you to make, that he wants you to lift up, that he wants to be there for you and lift you up. Uh, and so what you see here, and one of the things that I learned is that the temptation to be bitter and angry and vengeful is put right next to the, the idea of we need to forgive others or he will not forgive us. Now, Jesus warned us about that failure in verse 14. God wouldn't forgive you if that was how your mindset was. And so God is warning us and telling us this is the kind of prayer, this is the kind of life that we lead. Uh, and so the final clause in the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, appears to be added during the Middle Ages. Uh, and I know that surprises a lot of you Protestants because growing up, you know, that was kind of the mark in the sand between Protestants and Catholics. Catholics wouldn't include that. We included it. Of course, we insisted that that's what Jesus said. Well, I want to break it to you. You see, Jesus actually did not say that. What happened is that in 1614, uh, uh, when King James authorized the publication of the King James Bible, and the greatest scholars of the known world went back and read all of the translations, they concluded unanimously, Jesus never said this. But what are we going to do? We're going to come out with a Bible, and we want the entire kingdom to accept the Bible as the revealed word of God? They have been saying those words, repeating those words in church for centuries. And if we don't put it in, they won't accept this as the Bible. And so they put it in. Now, there's nothing wrong with the words. In fact, they're glorious words. They're in every way. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yes, it is appropriate. Yes, it is the nature of how we pray. Yes, it is the acknowledgement of God. Look, here's the thing, folks. As we acknowledge how God has taught us to pray, we should have every expectation that our prayers will be answered. Acknowledge it and assured, but we have to walk with him. We have to have a righteous life. We can't walk in sin. We can't walk around with an unforgiving spirit. We have to be the kind of people that he wants us to be. And if you are those kind of people, and if you walk in that way, this is your guarantee that your dad will see you and acknowledge you and love you and give you what you need in every possible way. Amen, church? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the words that you have given us today. Father, I thank you for this prayer. I thank you for the example of Jesus. Father, I thank you for the acknowledgement that you are our dad. That even though it was nowhere evident in the Old Testament that Jesus revealed that Abba was our relationship. You are our true father in the most serious and sensitive way. You are our dad. And so as we pray today to our dad, how appropriate. It's Father's Day. But for you, God, it's Father's Day every day. Bless our people. May this message resonate in our heart as we continue to ponder it, as we put all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.